As our uh, worship team heads uh, back down as well, we're going to open up God's Word in just a moment. And as we do that, we're starting a new sermon series this fall, looking at wisdom. And you can see on the screen behind me that uh, we're looking at God's direction, God's wisdom, and God's way. Often we are happy to do uh, to, to know what God says, but to want to figure out how to do what He says our own way. Or maybe uh, we want to do things God's way, but not now. We want to do it on our own time. And so we're going to spend some time this fall looking at wisdom. What does it mean for us to be people who are guided by the wisdom that God has uh, in His Word and also by His Spirit that He gives to each of us and all of us? And so we've got a number of uh, themes that we're going to look at this fall. We're going to look at uh, humility, persistence, resilience, forgiveness, pursuing truth, looking for rest, and seeking justice. And we're going to do all of those things through the lens of the wisdom. What is the wisdom that God has for his people today? Uh, and I'm going to kick that off this morning by an introduction to, uh, to the topic of wisdom and uh, to the book of Proverbs that's going to guide us into this season in the next two months or so. So, uh, I'm going to open us this morning with a reading from Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 8 and then skip ahead to verse 20. This, uh, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction and prudent behavior, for doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let, wise listen, let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and the riddles of the wise. This is where Solomon starts. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and understanding. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. And then, as I said, we're going to skip ahead to Solomon's picture of wisdom. He says, out, on the open, out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. So far, the reading of God's word. Now, just over nine years ago, I graduated seminary and started work at a little church in Colorado. I remember sitting at my desk in those first weeks and months and visiting people and just getting settled. And as I said, it was a small church, but I had big dreams. I had a big confidence. I was sure that we could do big things together as a church if only everybody would listen to me. Have you ever had that in your life? Have you ever thought everything would be better if people just listened to me? New seminary graduate Adrian desperately needed wisdom. And I still do. Maybe you do too. Some of you may know when we talk about wisdom that the book of Proverbs was originally written and used as a textbook or a guidebook for young Hebrew boys who entered Hebrew school. The purpose of Proverbs 
was to prepare these boys and young men to become mature, to become adults. But here's the catch. Wisdom is not only knowledge. It's not the same as knowledge. Wisdom is not about memorization. You could memorize the whole book of Proverbs if you're one of those amazing and strange people who can memorize big chunks of stuff. You could memorize the whole book of Proverbs and still not be wise. Wisdom, wisdom from God, is about having God direct our hearts so that we do what God desires, that we do it how God desires us to do it, and we do it when God desires us to do it. In other words, wisdom is about doing what is right and best in the right way and at the right time. The catch is that if we want to be wise, God needs to be in charge of our lives, not me. The fact that God is in charge, not me, was a problem for the Adrian who graduated seminary nine years ago. It was easier for me to, and I thought it was a better way too, to just read God's Word, open up the Bible, read what it says, and then think, okay, well, now I'm going to do what I think is best based on that. But I had to learn, as so many of God's people have to learn, that simply reading the Bible and knowing what it says isn't enough. Imagine for a moment that you were one of those people who could just memorize huge chunks of any book, maybe the book of Proverbs. Reading something, even memorizing it, doesn't mean that you fully understand it. It doesn't mean that you're wise. I'll give you two uh, arguments or, or images why I think that's the case. First, in this book, Proverbs is personified as a woman. Later in the book, we'll see also that folly or foolishness is also pictured or personified as a woman. Why is this? Wisdom is not feminine or female. All of us should want to be wise. But as I said, Proverbs was intended to be a book used to guide young men. The author of Proverbs, Solomon, wants young men to desire wisdom in just the way that a young man might desire an attractive young woman. Desiring wisdom is about so much more than just reading and memorizing. Even Solomon, here's the second case, Solomon, the man who wrote this book, or most of it anyway, at the end of his life, clearly loved foolishness more than he loved wisdom. First Kings tells us at the end of Solomon's life, God says to the king who's going to be king after Solomon, whose name was Jeroboam, he says to, God says to Jeroboam, look, I'm going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hands and give you, Jeroboam, ten of the tribes. I'll do this because Solomon and Israel have forsaken me. They worshipped other gods, Ashtoreth, the god of the Sidonians, and Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Molech, the god of the Ammonites. Solomon and Israel have not walked in my ways. They have not done what is right in my eyes or kept my statutes and laws as, Solomon, or as David, Solomon's father, did. Wisdom, it turns out, is not just about how much you know. Even the guy who literally wrote the book on wisdom 
wasn't smart enough. In fact, the very introduction to Proverbs, which we read together this morning, teaches us that wisdom is not about knowledge. Wisdom, God's wisdom, is about our desire for God. If wisdom is a woman that these young Hebrew boys might be attracted to, then the point is not to learn a bunch of facts. The point is to desire wisdom, to continue to work for her, to woo her, to orient your life toward her. The point is that our hearts would be drawn to God and that every part of our lives would be changed because of who we love and what we love. You could put it another way and say that wisdom is not something that's available to people who have enough money or enough street smarts or enough success. God's wisdom can't be purchased or won or achieved. Wisdom can only be found when we desire it and when we sacrifice and work to find it. Wisdom can only be found when we do what God desires, how God desires it, and when God desires. In other words, wisdom is doing what's right and best, the right way, and at the right time. Who can do that? That's the challenge of wisdom. Who of us could ever expect in our own strength to do that? If we're honest, even just for a few minutes, I think we have to say at least If we can't say nobody could do that, at least we have to say, well, not me. This is why the author of Proverbs says in our text this morning that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To fear the Lord is to respect God, to be in awe of God, or or maybe to use a more modern word, we don't talk about awe all that much, to be impressed by God. And so you allow God to direct your life because you're impressed by God. This is why wisdom, God's wisdom, is so difficult, I think, for us today. We might listen to what the Bible says. We might come to worship. But are you impressed by God? Are you interested in what his word says? And will you take it in advisement as you go and live your life? Or are you really impressed by God? Are you amazed at what, who he is and what he has done for you, for others? One of the theologians I enjoy, uh, he says that one of the biggest problems with the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament, or not the problems of, with the teachings of Jesus, but the problems with our approach to the teachings of Jesus, is that nobody would follow Jesus unless they really believe that he's a smart and wise man. Our problems are that we often fall away from the teachings of Jesus not because we think they're not impressive, but because we think they're unrealistic, because we think they don't actually guide us, because we're more confident in ourselves than we are in what God says. This is why I think some of us today who, even those of us who call ourselves Christians, might know what God says, but we're comfortable to just ignore what God says and do our own thing. We want to be in charge of our own lives. We're confident in our own approach. Let's 
call that attitude building my kingdom or making a name for myself. I'm more confident in what I think and what I believe than in what Jesus teaches. Some of us, on the other hand, are very happy to listen to what God says. But once we hear what God says, we want to do things my way. Or maybe we want to do things at my time. We say, yeah, well, that's all well and good, and I'll get to that eventually. We want to know what God says, but we live our life our own way and in our own time. This certainly looks like listening to God. It means that we open up our Bibles and we read what it is that he has to say. But at the end of the day, I'm still in charge of my own life. I'm still building my kingdom in the way that I think it should be built and at the time that I think it's important. Consider your own life, your own situation, your own family. You might always be considering what you think is best for the people you live with and the people you care about most. You might often be saying, listen up, you all need to listen to me and shape up. But you always find yourself at your limits. You always find yourself exhausted and tired, frustrated, if you're depending on your own wisdom. You're depending or expecting other people to depend on you. You always come to the end of yourself if everything in your family or your home or your work life depends on you. Whatever the shape of your life, whatever the shape of your family is, God's kingdom can only be built in, if it's built in your heart first. When Paul says, if God's kingdom comes, he says, then you will be, become mature. Then you will attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Brothers and sisters, if God does not have his way in your heart first, how can he have his way and at the right time in your family, in your work, in the other things that you're involved in? We're always tempted to build our own kingdoms, to build my kingdom, to include God's word, but to pursue our own desires at our own time and our own understanding or our own way. That's still my kingdom. We can't give God's wisdom to those that we love until and unless we internalize it for ourselves and apply it to our own lives. This is true in our homes and our families and our work, and it's also true in church. How many of us, when we come to worship or when we interact with other people in our church, are looking for our own preferences and our own desires? You might say something like, oh, I didn't really like that sermon. Or maybe, I really did like that music today. But we're not gathered here to serve my desires. We're gathered here to be in awe of God, to be impressed by God to learn and hear more about him and allow him to direct our lives. It's possible in every sphere of life, for a family, a business, a school, a church, even a denomination. It's possible in every sphere of life to know what God says and still insist on doing things our own way. 
There's too many examples in Scripture for me to list them all about how this is a path that leads to suffering. This is almost, in, in so many stories in the Old Testament and the New, this is the path that leads to suffering. The story of Jonah comes to mind, hearing the word of God, knowing, and then saying, no, I think I know better. This is a path that always leads to suffering. And so if we're suffering, or when we're suffering in our lives, and when we can't see God, it's worth looking back and wondering. Can we see the point where we stopped looking at God and stopped listening to God? Can we see the point when we started relying on our own strength or on our own experience, our worldly wisdom? Sometimes we can see as individuals, as families, as churches, or even a denomination. That's when we get in trouble. Often, it's when we see that we've gotten into trouble. When we see that we've stopped relying on God's wisdom and started relying on our own strength, our own experience, our own timing. Alan Hirsch is an author, and he wrote in this new book, Metanoia, he said, the biggest blockage to the next experience of God is often the last experience of God because we get locked onto it. The danger is for us, for many of us, is that we always depend on ourselves. We depend on our past experiences, on our own strength, or even on uh, worldly insight. Or maybe we just baptize that all with with the experience of God or with the words of the Bible, we say, well, God blessed me last time when I did this, so now I know for sure what to do. I don't have to listen to him anymore. This is what we used to do, and it was always good then, so now we're going to continue going down that path. But there's no relationship in the world. Think of the relationships that are most important to you. There's no relationship in the world where you can hear one thing and carry on for the rest of your life and have a strong relationship. Relationships always require that we check in regularly, that we speak, that we listen, that we take it under advisement what those we care for and love have to say to us. And the nature of the relationship between Christians and God is not a full-on partnership where we each bring a little bit It's a relationship where we are in awe of God, where we allow God to lead, to guide, and to provide, where we do things how God desires them, when God desires them, and and also what God desires. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel, that at just the right time, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That as Christians, we celebrate that God is the one who is wise. God is the one who is powerful. God is the one who knows what the right thing is at the right time for the right reasons. We don't have to rely on our own strength, our own experience, or our own insight. All of us have limits. We have limited understanding. We have limited control. As a church, we do our best with the limited wisdom and the limited resources that we have. Our human understanding, our human limits are not 
useful to God. I don't mean that God doesn't value them and that God can't use them. I mean that God doesn't need our, our insights. God doesn't need our experiences. If we depend on ourselves, we miss where God is leading. And we don't start building God's kingdom based on what we already know or what we have already experienced. We always build God's kingdom from a fear of the Lord, from regularly and, and always returning again and again to God, to His Word, to His Spirit, to being in awe of Him, to being impressed by Him. Are you impressed by God? As you come to gather with all of these other people this morning, are you impressed by what God has said in His Word? Impressed by what He's done in His world or in your own life? Proverbs says the fear of the Lord, being impressed by God, is the beginning of wisdom. And as the series continues, as I said at the top, we're going to look at these topics, humility, persistence, resilience, forgiveness, pursuing truth, rest, seeking justice. The difference, the problem, the catch, like I said earlier, is that unless God is king of your heart, you can't do the work of God. Unless God directs your life, you can't do what God calls you to do. If you try and approach any one of these topics as a task that you need to do, you'll become utterly exhausted and frustrated. If you say to yourself, I need to be persistent, I need to be resilient, I need to figure out how to forgive, I need to figure out how, what all of the truth in the world is, I need to be responsible for justice, you'll be exhausted. These are not things that we can figure out on our own and in our own strength how to do. These are rich and beautiful fruit which come from God Himself. Brothers and sisters, God is humble. God is persistent. God is resilient. God forgives. God is truth. God gives rest and God is just. If we are pursuing God, if we're orienting our lives on Him, then all the rest of these things will be given to us as well. This is exactly what Jesus says in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't worry, saying, what do we eat or what shall we drink or what will we wear? For the pagans run after these things. Pagans is a, one of the words the Bible uses for people who don't fear the Lord. People who worship and trust someone other than God. The pagans worry about all of these things. They have to take care of them all themselves. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. All these other things will be given to you as well. We might try in our own strength to do the things that we read about in God's Word. But when we do it that way, we'll only become tired and frustrated will only lead to more worry. God doesn't bless our best efforts in our own strength to do the things that I think I should do when I think I should do it. God leads 
God guides. God invites me to follow. God invites you to follow. To use the picture that Jesus uses, God welcomes us as children, which is to say, humbly. God invites us to call Him Father, which is to say that we come to Him knowing that we have nothing and that we need everything from Him. That not only does He have to decide what to give us, but like a good parent, He has to decide when to give it to us and how to provide the right thing at the right time. We come to God as children and as guests at His table, looking to Him and trusting in Him to provide for everything. This morning, we remember that some of us disregard what God says and do our own thing. Some of us listen to what God says, but we want to do our own, God's thing, but we want to do it in our own way and in our own strength. That all of this becomes busy work that leads to exhaustion or stress or worry because it builds my kingdom or my name, not God's. But I want to say it one more time before we close. Thanks be to God. He is strong. He is mighty. He provides. God is humble. God is persistent. God is resilient. God forgives. He is truth. He gives rest. God is just. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When God is the center of our lives... He can become the center of our families. He can become the center of our communities, our church, and beyond. Wisdom from God is not what we achieve. It's nothing we can be proud of. It's God's gift to all of us who come to Him as children, who come to Him as guests, and who look to Him to provide our strength, our plans, and everything we need from Him. We'll see more as we continue this series, but for now... Invite you to humbly come with me to God in prayer. God, there's so many things in our world. And because of that, so many things in our mind. We are people whose minds are always quick to wander and jump from one to the next to the next. And it's so easy for us to become people who worry who try to plan out every possible step for the future, to rely on our own experience, on our own knowledge, on our own abilities to try and plot the best path. But God, we thank you that at just the right time, while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for the ungodly, that you have drawn us God, near to yourself. While we were far away, while we were dead, while we had nothing and have nothing to our name, yet you love us and fill us with your spirit. And that when you give us not only salvation and new life, you also give us your wisdom. Teach us, Lord, to see ourselves as we are, to acknowledge our limitations so that we might see you more and more as you are, limitless, powerful, glorious, the one who gives and is the source of every 
of, of our life and of everything good that we have and that can overflow out of us to share with others. God, lead us and guide us. Not because we are worthy of it, not because we are so good, but because of who you are and because of your great love for us and for this world. And so we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Before we close in worship, I want to, or in another song, uh, I want to offer you a blessing. And so if you're able, just invite you to stand. We're gonna, this last song is a new one for us. It's called Trust in God. And one of the first lines uh, talks about the fourth man in the fire. It's a reference back to the Old Testament story of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were, because of their boldness, they knew who God was. They knew where God was leading. And so they were willing to take a punishment out of obedience to God following his leading. It's one of many pictures in Scripture that show us that God is with and God blesses and God provides for his people as we follow him, as we trust in him, and as we look to him for wisdom. So as you go to the rest of this week, go, look for God, look, follow his leading. He will go with you, he'll go before you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God the Father, and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit be with you, remain with you, and lead you all. And all God's people say, amen. Let's sing together before we go.